Hi, welcome to Pitt Town Church. We are so glad that you're listening to this podcast. We pray that this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus. If you would like more information, check out our website at www.pitttownchurch.com. Morning, my name's Anne. If I haven't met you before, I'm going to be reading the Bible uh, with us. So please open your devices to Luke 2 or look on the screen or if you have a paper Bible, Luke chapter 2 and we'll read the first 20 verses. Luke chapter 2. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the, and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there... The time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son and she wrapped him snugly in cloth and laid him in a feeding trough because there was no room for them at the lodging place. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, a Saviour who is Messiah the Lord was born for you in the city of David. And this will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth and lying in a feeding trough. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favours. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the feeding trough. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard, just as they had been told. Well, uh, sometimes things don't go the way that you thought they would. They don't uh, turn out the way that exactly like you'd planned, you know. You thought you were going to arrive right on time, not have to, and things just don't turn out like you thought. You know what it's like when the preacher turns up late and you just think, ah, this isn't how it's normally supposed to go. That happens sometimes. Once, once when, I was, uh, when I was little, my dad 
had to go and do some work down in Mildura. I was maybe five years old. And so mum thought, let's all go as a family, family holiday. We'll go down to Mildura. And uh, I don't know if you know much about Mildura. It's a small town kind of in the north of Victoria, down south. And uh, my memory, I don't know what it's like today, but my memory is it was a place where the slogan should be Mildura, why wait for death? <laughs> now, I don't know. That's just my five-year-old memory. I'm sure it's a great place to live now. I'm sure people love it. But my memory was that wasn't a bustling place. Now, I was little, cute, little, sweet, adorable, obedient five-year-old and we were down there in Mildura. There's, you know, of all the things to do in Mildura, eating and leaving come to mind. <laughs> so we were there, family holiday. Mum and Dad thought this will be a great place to take the kids. I was five. My sister Mel was seven-ish. We were down there and it wasn't really turning out to be the best family holiday. And so we went to the only thing in Mildura that there was to do, which was Humpty Dumpty's farm, the world's biggest Humpty Dumpty. <laughs> sure. So we went, mum and me and my sister, Humpty Dumpty's farm. And at Humpty Dumpty's farm, there was old McDonald's petting zoo. And so mum says, this will be fun. And so we turn up. It's basically a patch of dirt with a fence around it. And there were some mangy chickens. There was an old sheep and a ram and a donkey and a fairly surly looking pig. And that was it. So Mel, my sister, she, she's like, let's go pat the donkey. She's seven-ish, I'm five, I'm a bit uncertain, she's very confident. So she goes and pats the donkey. Everything goes fine, it doesn't move, we think it might be dead. She pats it, it's fine. I then go and do exactly the same thing that she did, pat it exactly the same way. And like lightning, this thing springs to life, turns around and bites me on the leg. I don't know if you've seen like a, a donkey's mouth up close, but they've got some teeth. Bit me on the leg. I'm like, ah! Mel can't stop laughing. She thinks it's the most entertaining thing to ever happen in Mildura, which admittedly is a low bar. I hobble over to mum. I'm like, mum, the donkey bit me on the leg. She says, oh, that doesn't sound like much fun. Oh, well, the worst is probably over. Why don't you go pat the ram? <laughs> so I limp over 
to the ram and I give him a bit of a pat. You know a ram with, those, with the big things? You know why they call rams rams? Because they're very good at it. So I pat the ram and like it was spring-loaded, it reared back and rammed me right in the chest. And five-year-old Craig went flying across old McDonald's petting zoo, (laughs) sprawled in the dirt. I drag myself through the dust. I can't breathe. I drag myself through the dirt back to mum, thinking to myself, this isn't as fun as I thought it would be. My sister Mel runs over. She thinks it's hilarious. She says, Mum, this place is the best. (laughs) When can we come back? (laughs) This is way more fun than I thought it would be. Sometimes things just don't go the way that you expect them to go. Sometimes they turn out much better, way more fun. For other people, for other times, they don't turn out as good as you thought they would. You know what it's like when you have a a thought in mind, you have a plan about how things are going to unfold and it just doesn't go the way that you thought it would. Sometimes maybe you've been hoping that this year would be better, better than last year. And maybe it's just not exactly turning out the way that you expected it to. Maybe there are um, relationships in your life, maybe with friends, maybe with family, maybe with children, that just not working out the way that you hoped and expected that they would. Perhaps there are people in your life that always said they would be there for you when you needed them. And for whatever reason, when you needed them, they weren't there. And, and you know what it's like when you have certain expectations of how things are going to go and it just doesn't turn out like that. Maybe you've been kind of hoping and praying that your health would turn around and it's just not. Or maybe you've been healthy for a long time and then now the tests are back and things are going on and it hasn't been like this and you kind of feel a bit out of your depth and you're not quite sure what to expect. Maybe even... Perhaps you've been trying hard with the people that you know, maybe at work or school or at home, to talk about Jesus with the people that you know and care about. And you're trying to have conversations, but it hasn't really gone the way that you thought it would. And, and it, you're trying to do the right thing, but it's just not going the way that you expected it to. You know what it's like, how confusing how challenging it can be when things just don't go the way that you'd plan them to go. And what I want to do here this morning in Luke chapter 2 is we're going to look at this moment, maybe a very familiar moment in history, the birth of Jesus. This is the story of every Christmas. And what I'm hoping that we'll see is that maybe it's not as familiar as we might first think it is. And we're going to see the responses of three groups of 
people, Mary and Joseph, the shepherds and the angels and, and how they respond to this news. And we're going to see this, this unexpected news. And then for each of us, we're going to think about what their responses, what we can learn from the way that they responded in the way that perhaps we might respond. So Luke chapter two, if you have it open, uh, starting from verse one, Luke says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. This is all very familiar to us. There's a census. They go to their hometown, Bethlehem. This is the story that we all know. This is every Christmas. But it's actually a very weird story. There's a census, a registration that gets called. Bethlehem is a long way from Nazareth in the north. It's like a four-day walk, a five-day walk, maybe more if you're a heavily pregnant person. An ancient imperial census did not in any way require people to go back to their ancestral hometown. You think about that, it's so unnecessary. It's a ridiculous thing that everyone would have to go day's walk. That's not how they worked. So the way that it worked was you would go to the closest, largest town and you would register there. That's how it worked. So in the north, up near Nazareth, the place you would go would be the city Sepphoris. It's this big gleaming town on a hill, city on a hill, about an hour's walk, an hour's walk. But they don't go there. They don't go to Sepphoris. They go all the way to Bethlehem, four days, five days. Why? They didn't have to do that. Well, part of it is the way that the censuses worked. Censuses, sensei, sensei. The way that the sensei worked. You, you would go and the point of them was not like our, you know, Australian Bureau of Statistics sort of census. The point of those ones, as I understand it, is a bit of research, uh, funding, planning, all that kind of stuff. That's not the point of an ancient imperial Roman census. The point of them was it was a way for Rome to claim ownership of you and everything you own. The gist of it was if I counted you, then I owned you and all of your assets. And I can call upon you and I can call upon anything that you own at will, whenever I want. That's what it meant. And so in this case, it would imply that Caesar 
was Lord of the registered people and that they owed him taxes and anything else that he wanted from them. And so Mary and Joseph, they obey and they submit to the decree, but they go to Bethlehem. They go to the town of David to declare that they were looking for the true king of Israel, the Davidic king, that they were loyal to God. They were waiting for his kingdom, that they didn't belong to Caesar. Their things did not belong to Caesar and their son did not belong to Caesar. They were a part of God's kingdom and they were waiting for his king. And so they obey but they also kind of rebel and they go to Bethlehem. So then they arrive and then we're told, verse 6, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son and she wrapped him snugly in cloth and laid him in a feeding trough because there was no room for them at the lodging place. In the Old Testament book of Micah, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, there's a famous prophecy about where the Messiah, God's chosen promised king, where the Messiah would be born. And the verse goes like this. Micah chapter 5, verse 2, Bethlehem Ephrathah, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you who will be ruler over Israel for me. And I think it's ironic that the prophecy is fulfilled because Caesar wanted to flex about how he owned everyone and owned everything. And so because of his decree, that meant the king who actually did own everyone and own everything was born in the exact place he was prophesied to be born, right? If there was no decree, they wouldn't have gone. And so Mary wrapped him, put him in a feeding trough because there was no room at the lodging place. Right? No room at, in the inn is not exactly what's happening, right? The story's not that Joseph forgot to book ahead and thought it would be fine and then when they arrived there was no vacancy at the hotel and so the owner said, look, it's, it, you know, it's peak season. Uh, like I can't, there's not much I can do, but why don't you go out the back? You can stay in the barn where the animals are. And then that night she gives birth. That's not what happens. That's not the story. They would have stayed at the family property. Bethlehem's not that big. Like a, it's like a little kind of village hamlet thing. The way that the houses worked is that you had two levels and the people slept up the top. Then at nighttime, you would bring the animals in to the house, into the house, and they would sleep kind of downstairs and you slept upstairs. Lock the door, you know, that's how it worked. And so what happened was probably it's a bit overcrowded Uncle Joe's probably made a big fuss about how he's got a bad back. And so he's taken the spare bed upstairs. Mary and Joseph are outranked. And so they're sleeping in the house downstairs 
with the animals. That's the picture. And so Jesus is then placed in a feeding trough for the animals to sleep. And again, we see the irony, right? Jesus, the king of the world, the owner of everyone and everything, he's not in the gleaming city on a hill, Sepphoris, dining with kings and queens. He's in Bethlehem, sleeping in a feeding trough, right? His, his head rests where the cattle fed. And it's a, it, it's a pretty humbling picture, isn't it? But, it? but it makes sense when you know who he is and when you know where he's going. The whole thing is humbling. Because who, who is he? Well, he's God himself. God himself come into his own world as a human being. And even if he was to go to the gleaming city on a hill, Sepphoris, even if he was to go to Rome, the capital city of the world, both of those places are like a garbage dump compared to where he came from, right? He came from heaven itself. He came from being in God's presence where, where everything is always right, where everything is always fair, where everything is always good, where everything is always non-fattening. He's come from there and he comes here where we live. He didn't, he didn't spend his time in some hermetically sealed, virus-free, cotton wool, positive reinforcement, temperature controlled, emotionally supportive, low GI, team bonding, group hug, high five, two thumbs up, picking flowers, fanfare-tastic rainbows and sprinkles and gumdrop houses kind of environment. He came, to, he came to our world, right, the place that we live. He spent time with us the way that our world works. And compared to where he came from, even the best parts of our world are like a garbage dump compared to that. And then where is he going? Well, the kid in the wooden trough is going to grow up to be the adult who ends up on the wooden cross. That's where he's going, right? He's, he's wrapped in cloth in the trough, but he'll end up wrapped in cloth in the tomb. That's where he's going, right? That's where this kid's going to end up. And so it kind of starts the way that it ends, in humility, in servanthood. That's how it starts because that's how it's going to end. But then we meet the shepherds. Verse 8 says, In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields, keeping watch at night over their flock. Right, so here you have these, these sheep herders just doing their job. They're no one special. They're not rich. They're not powerful. They're not big influencers. They're just normal working class people doing their job, getting on with it. And then suddenly an angel appears and tells them that the saviour has been born and he's lying in a feeding trough. So verse 9, then an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were 
terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, a saviour who is Messiah the Lord was born for you in the city of David. This will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth and lying in a feeding trough. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favours. This is all very rare. This kind of thing doesn't happen. Angels don't just show up very often in the scriptures. It's not as though this is like a usual thing. They don't just show up and say, behold, the cricket starts in 15 minutes. You're like, ah, thanks, angel. That's quite handy. I got time to make a toasted sandwich. Thanks. That's not how it works. They don't just turn up all the time. They're very rare. And it's rare to find a baby in a feeding trough. That's also not its natural habitat. And then suddenly, it's not just one angel, it's a great multitude, which is even more rare. And it's not just that the angel appears, right? It's not just that he appears in all his shining glory, does a jig and then leaves. He says something. He, he gives them a message. And the message they hear about is that the one born and lying in a feeding trough is born king, saviour, lord, messiah. And the shepherds hear this message. A saviour has been born for you and they respond. And it's quite a confronting thing to find out that there's a saviour. Because the whole point of a saviour is that they save people. And the people who get saved get saved because they need saving. And they need saving because they can't save themselves. And all of that is very confronting. It's, it's, it's a bit confronting to be told, A, that you need a saviour, and B, that it's because you can't save yourself. You're not strong enough. You're not good enough. You can't do it. That's very confronting. But do you think, do you think that God would have gone to all that trouble, including crucifixion, if it wasn't a big deal after all? And if there was some other easier way, less horrific way to go about it? Do you think God would have gone to all that effort if it wasn't a big thing and if there was another way? No. See, these shepherds, they heard God's message and then they responded. You, in verse 15, it says, When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said, to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. See how they're not going to go to see if it's true. They go because they already think it's true. Right? If they didn't think it was true, 
then they wouldn't have gone, right? If you're a shepherd out on the hill and you have this vision of angels and you think that your brain is tricking you because you've been smelling too much wool and you think it was just a thing, then you wouldn't go because you don't think it's true. But the shepherds go because they already think it's true. And what if that's you? What if you're here this morning and you've heard the word of God and you know it's true that Jesus really is King, Lord, Saviour? What then should your response be? What else do the shepherds do and how can we learn from their response? Well, verse 16, they go find Mary, Joseph, Jesus in the trough. And then verse 17 says, after seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And then verse 20, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard just as they had been told. Right? They do two things. They reported and they praised. They spread the word about this baby who was the king, who was the saviour, and they praised God because of it. And who did they report it to? It's not totally obvious, but at least they reported it to Mary and Joseph and whoever else was with them in the house, right? They reported it to Mary that the child is the Messiah, the Lord, the Saviour. And how does she respond? Well, verse 19, but Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. You might have thought that an angel would come and explain it to her. That's not what happens. You might have thought that perhaps the Holy Spirit would overshadow her and and give her understanding. That's not what happens. You might have thought a whiteboard would drop from the sky with like a diagram on it and some schematics. But that's not what happened. What happened was the shepherds, told her what the angel had told them, and then she thought about it. That's what happened. She treasured these things up in her heart and meditated on them. She pondered them. She really thought about them. She was trying to put the pieces in place and and figure out what was going on. And so what about us? What about you? How do we respond? Maybe your response is like Mary. Maybe you need to think about these things some more, ponder them, figure out, think about how they, how they fit. And there's lots of ways that you can do that, of course. But the main way that we do that here, the main way that we help each other ponder these things is in our growth groups, where we meet with each other each week to treasure these things in our hearts and to ponder God's word and and help each other do it. And so maybe you're not in one. Maybe you used to be in one, but have kind of paused and it's time to jump back in. Maybe that's you. Let us know. We'll help you find a group that you can land in. It's not the only way, but it is the main way here at 
pit town that we do this kind of thing. Maybe for you, maybe you're more like the shepherds and maybe it's about reporting to others and praising. Because if something's good news or amazing, then you tell people and you, you spread it, right? Things go viral. You, when things are good, you tell people that they're good. In other words, you praise the thing. You, you, you promote it. And maybe this message about Jesus, the Messiah, the Saviour, maybe it's a message that's changed your life. Maybe you think it's good news and you think it's, it, if you think it really is good, if it really is amazing, then it's obvious the thing that you would do is you'd want other people to know it too. That's what you do with amazing news. If it really is good news of great joy for all the people, then we need to make sure that we tell all the people. And so who do you know, perhaps? Who's, who's in your orbit who might need to hear about this? And how can you play your part in making sure, helping them to hear it? Maybe you feel like you want to be involved in a bit more of an organised way to help even more people find out about this message. And like we've said, street teams, Chris is leading and launching this in this back half of the year. Maybe that's the next step for you, to be a part of something a bit more organised, doing it with others, because we, we want people all over the place here to know and experience God's love for them in meeting their physical needs, but also their more important spiritual, eternal needs too. Maybe that's the next step for you. Let us know. The shepherds were just living their life, doing their thing, and then they heard the word of God and they responded. They thought it was true, they believed it, and they responded. They came to Jesus and then they went and spread the word and praised God. That's how they responded. And I think that's pretty good. Mary treasured these things in her heart and meditated on them, pondered them. And I think, think that's a pretty good response as well. Jesus is the king. He's the Lord. He's the saviour. He is the king who owns everything and rules everyone. But he's not a king like Caesar. He's the king of humility. He's not the king that people expected. He's not the person that he doesn't always do what we expect him to do. But his coming into the world wasn't the expected thing either. But his coming into the world is news and it's news to report and it's news to praise and it's news to ponder. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the coming of Jesus into our world in an unexpected way. Father, we do thank you for him, the unexpected king. Thank you for his humility. And this news is of such great joy for all the people 
And Father, we just pray that you would help each one of us individually and as a team as we make this news known to the people who need to hear it. Father, we pray that you would help us and we pray this not for our sake, but for the sake of the Lord Jesus. In his name, amen.